You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 73, David Coverdale's White Snake, Snake Bite. And coming to you from the nearly dying computer suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from Providence, John Swamp Meadow Matola. <laughs> Swamp Meadow. I don't know that one. I just like now I'm just making them weird for the sake of making you could be, you you could be making them up for all I know. Swamp yeah, Meadow. Be, but, oh, yeah. it's, I see that it's in Foster, Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. No school, Foster, Gloucester. Hey, I'm Googling <laughs> it. So what, what is it? What's the deal with Swamp Meadow? It's the only remaining covered bridge in Rhode Island. Oh, the bridges of Providence County. Hmm, which I... Yeah, there's. I didn't realize there was a covered bridge. In <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize like, there were, were any north. <laughs> I didn't realize there were any north, covered, like <laughs> you know, New Hampshire or oh, down in you know um, Vermont, Pennsylvania, probably Amish town. You know, Amish uh, Amish country. Yeah, I can make fun of the Amish. They won't be listening to this, right? No, they hate Deep Purple. They listen to other podcasts. <laughs> Podca- they they listen to the uh, We Don't Like Zippers podcast. <laughs> Their favorite podcast is Only Buttons. <laughs> um yeah, my computer man, it's doing it's doing okay, but um I've got this very odd yeah, what's going on? this odd issue where well I'm trying to install a second hard drive, which I've done a million times. It should be easy, but somehow some of the boot sector of Windows is on a drive that Windows is not on. So my computer won't boot without that drive. So I'm like desperately trying to figure out how I can I tried uh, doing a repair on Windows and I just can't figure out how to get it working properly so um that's why we, we we need more patrons so that we can try to raise some money for a new computer this computer well, is should be okay but um I, I i i am dangerously low on hard drive space so uh really well, need to best of luck because without your computer there is no deep purple podcast no no my computer is has got it all so i've i'm down to about 40 gigabytes on my main audio drive here so i might have to leave that old drive attached for the time being and just hook up my new drive some other way and uh, be able to record onto it. But we'll see. Mm. That's, that's what uh, 73 episodes of the Deep Purple podcast does. It fills up a hard drive. Um, all right. So if you want to keep up to date on the show, please make sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts. If you want to support the show, which we would love, join our Hall of Heroes and our list of, of patrons. That'd be very much appreciated. Um, and you can also leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That would be greatly appreciated as well. So speaking of our patrons, we have at the moment the $25 Super Trooper tier, Steve Seaborg coming to us from the Cayman Islands, the PayPal Cayman Islands of, of uh, podcast donations. At the $20 Shades of Deep Pockets tier, Ryan M. 
At the $15 highball shooter tier, no one. It's vacant currently. At the turn it up to $11 tier, Alan Begg. At the $10 someone came tier, Richard Fusey via the Caymans as well. At the $5 money lender tier, we have Clay Wambacher, Greg Sealby, Frank Teelgard Mortensen, Mike Knowles, John Convery, Arthur Smith, and German Heindel. And at the $3 Nobody's perfect here. Peter Gardo, who is just messaging me as we were sitting down to do this and showing <laughs> me a picture of some Dymo labels he found in his garage, um, <laughs> which will, by the time this episode airs, he'll be like, oh, my God, <laughs> I forgot I had done that. That was so long ago. <laughs> um, Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback and Anton Glaving. And at the one dollar made up name tier, L's murders. Spacey Noodles, the ghostly Leaky Mausoleum, and of course, Michael Vader. And that's our uh, patron list for today. Thank you so much to all of you for donating and helping support the show. And of course, we would be nowhere without our brothers at the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Riot's Abbott Bloody Podcast is putting out some great new Aussie content. The Simple Man is Skinner Reconsidered, who's trucking along with Skinner, moving on soon to the final Skinner album of the first five. And Terry T-Bone Mathley at T-Bone's Prime Cuts. And thanks, especially for this episode, to York Planer, the patron saint and archivist of the Deep Purple Podcast, for giving us so much great information, as always. And hey, a reminder, um, as of recording this, it was recently Tommy Bolin's birthday, so make sure to donate to the Tommy Bolin Memorial Statue Fund. Uh, get a statue of the man for his birthday. It would be greatly appreciated. So, this week, we I, I hesitate to say this could be a shorter episode because that usually never happens whenever I say it. But <laughs> know, right? the content is certainly shorter this week, and we're covering the White Snake... Um, Snakebite EP, which is only four songs. So, what do you, what's your, how do you remember this? Because it probably is very similar to me, but what's your, what's your memory and your take on the Snakebite EP? Um, I, I think that I like came to it afterwards because like I got, I got all into White Snake, like all mixed up. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because as we've discussed before, because of our generation, I knew White Snake from the 80s. And then when I got into Deep Purple, I got into White Snake in the 70s. And I honestly, I don't even remember what my first White Snake album was, but I had to work my way to figure out what even the first White Snake album was, which is still kind of confusing. <laughs> um, but I mean, this was one of them that, if I am not wrong, there was this awesome place in Pawtucket called Luke's Records. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and this place was this place was great. I can still picture it. Mm -hmm. It was one of those record stores you walked into and it was just like like had this low, low ceiling because they had all like t-shirts and bandanas mm -hmm. and all stuff hanging off the ceiling, just like wall to wall, like records, CDs, t-shirts, posters, like uh just this it was just like a haven for all that stuff. And of course, like used cassettes, and that was one of them that was in there was the snake bite, which if I'm not wrong, was probably the like extended version, like the one that we're not reviewing today because it has the four songs on it from Northwinds that we already know and have reviewed. Um, so yeah, um, um, that's pretty much it. I don't have any strong memories associated with it. You know, it was like my first, you know, say it was like my first white snake or whatever. It wasn't, but 
Yeah, I was. Yeah, um, it's kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was kind of uh, confused by it as well, thinking it was because in America, I, don't, I guess we'll get to that in a little bit, but in America, it was kind of marketed as the first White Snake album because, like you mm-hmm. said, they took four, it's very odd, they took four brand new songs from newly formed, sort of proto White Snake, and then they took four songs from Northwinds and just jammed them onto one album. And it was an LP instead of an EP. Um, so that, that that's why I was always kind of confused thinking that this was the first album. And then, like I said, we were confused already because North when we had Northwinds and Whitesnake, they were all jammed together on the one CD. So you had the songs mm-hmm. and then you were like, wait, these songs sound familiar. And it was just it was really messy, but it was also messy even at the time. Um, Whitesnake doesn't have this so much of a definitive start date as some other bands might have. It was Coverdale did solo for a couple of years and a couple albums. Then this is kind of like a, a, an intermediary branch bet- or a bridge, I should say, between uh, this and then the first album Trouble. Right, because when he was doing this, wasn't he still essentially like David Coverdale with these other musicians? Well, in the UK, it was it was it said David Coverdale's White Snake. That's the uh, that's the name of the EP, and that's the name of the band. It was David you know, kind of like Richie Blackmore's Rainbow? Yeah. Um, so it kind of so it kind of progressed like that because I always wondered where that kind of began. Like, how did it? Like, I'm wondering if you, we have any info on that as to when it became like officially just White Snake. Um, I think it would have been with the next with the with trouble became it became white, just just white snake. And I think a lot of that, too, has to do with the record execs and who's marketing it more so than even maybe the band. But this wasn't really the lineup that would be uh, thought of as that first white snake lineup. So um, it's it's still kind of I mean, it's almost there because you've got Bernie Marsden joining and all this sort of stuff. Um, But, yeah, it's definitely a different. it sounds like they're not quite at White Snake yet, and they're still coming off of that David Coverdale solo stuff, which is just fine with me because um, I love that David Coverdale solo stuff. And y- you know, you'll have uh, the drummer on this on this uh, EP, David Dowell. Um, I think I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, he's a session drummer, and he'll be on the first White Snake album the trouble album and then it, ian pace joins and and that's it but on this on this you also do not have john lord in the group yet you have um uh, a, another uh keyboard player who we'll get to in a moment so uh so this band got thrown together um on bass we've got neil murray who have we even talked about neil murray before on this show i'm trying to think i Is think he, so wasn't he didn't he play with coverdale already or wasn't he on Northwinds or is that? I don't think he was on Northwinds. I think so. He was in, you know, he was, you know, he was in Coliseum two. He was in Babe Ruth with Bernie Marsden. Uh, he played. Uh, so, so I think those are a few of the groups he might've been with before he joined uh, white snake, but I don't think we've mm-hmm. covered anything that actually had Neil Murray on it before. So. It just feels like Neil Murray, you know, he, he's such a he's such a fixture to this scene that I, it feels like we would have talked about him so far. Um, but welcome, Neil Murray. Welcome to the Deep Purple podcast. Um, so the, so so Neil Murray joins David Dowell. Like I said, he was really a session guy. He played in uh, Brian or 
Auger's Oblivion Express. And I'm pronouncing that the way it would be pronounced from my French Canadian town. I don't know how it was actually pronounced. And then he played in Streetwalkers. He replaced uh, Nico McBrain in Streetwalkers, uh, um, which is kind of interesting. Uh, guitar Bernie Marsden joins us. We've co covered his background uh, at the in the Pace Ashton Lord episode. Uh, guitar Mickey Moody, who we've also covered before because he's coming to us from the Coverdale stuff and on keyboards Pete Solly again I've only ever read these names and never heard anyone say them so he's this is his only uh, contribution to White Snake after that John Lord joins joins for trouble and and then it's John Lord from there on out for a while and uh, Peter Solly played with pa bands called Paladin Snafu Fox he played with Pat Travers Procol Harum Reckless Eric which I <laughs> like. <laughs> Sounds like a like a berserker Viking or something. Um, and then later on, he went to do production. He was a producer for Oingo Boingo, Motorhead, and Peter Frampton. Quite a wide range of uh, of, of different uh, different acts. And then he went to do. Um, he had a pretty good career doing commercial jingles. He wrote commercial jingles for British Airways, Coca Cola, and BMW. So, ah, so he went the way of uh, JLT for a little. Bit. Yeah, I wonder if he ever worked with JLT. That'd be great to have a. A crossover hit with uh, composition by Peter Solly and vocals by JLT. So it sounds like this guy has really kind of been all over the place. He wasn't like a, uh, you know, he, he just showed up and then was just gone forever. Like he just was never. Yeah, I, I guess th I think he was popular. I, I think like David, I mean, he's got a ton of credits. But I think like David Dolly is probably just like mostly a studio guy, you know, and yeah. you they get these studio guys in to do the album and they end up kind of joining the band. But. Sometimes studio guys are like, no, I don't really want to do the band thing. I want to continue doing my studio yeah. work. So it's probably where it happened from there. So this group gets together and um, this newly formed group, they were supposed to play their first show on February 23rd, 1978. Um, Neil Murray confirms in Martin Popoff's book, Sail Away, that this show never happened. So sometimes people say that it did, but Neil Murray says it didn't. I guess he kept some very meticulous details and diary of all this stuff. In early April, they get together in London to start rehearsing. And then from the 7th of April to the 13th, they go to Central Recorders to record the Snakebite EP. Um, and Bernie Marsden explained that um, uh, the reason they were doing an EP is because the record company wouldn't commit to an album, which is unusual since Coverdale had already done two solo albums, but he puts a group together and they don't want to commit to it. Um, so he said they had a, a friend... Uh, Bernie Marsden said they had a friend at EMI, Robbie Dennis, who was a fan of the band, uh, but his boss wouldn't let him wouldn't let him sign them. Uh, but Bernie says he credits Dennis with uh, having a huge part in the White Snake story and eventually getting them signed and uh, seeing them go on to great success. And then uh, this was released. This EP was released in June second, nineteen seventy eight. Um. Martin Popoff does talk in his book, in his Sail Away book, about kind of how it's kind of like we're, we're talking about is how confusing the whole White Snake is. When did it start? When did it end? You've got David Coverdale having an album named White Snake, two words, and then he starts a band named White Snake, one word. He's got a song called White Snake. He's got David Coverdale's White Snake. Then it turns into the regular White Snake, and there's all these here we are between his solo album and this EP and the first album having all of these lineup changes already. So uh, setting in motion what would be a pretty much perpetual ro revolving door in Whitesnake for years to come. So, Yeah, pretty much. They never really had a, 
I mean, for a little, for a few years, they had a solid lineup in the early days, but that was about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely didn't uh, didn't stay super solid. So, looking at the cover, the White Snake cover for the Snake Bite EP is very simple. It's just a white cover. It says White Snake on it in the which is kind of the traditional White Snake font for those early years. David Coverdale's White Snake Snake Bite, and then these two little boop teeth marks with little blood dripping down them and that's it on a white background no frills yep that's it. <laughs> that's it. there's nothing else to, i kind of like it it's very it's very simple um yeah i was gonna say i like it for the simplicity and the um uh you know the colors um i always think like red red and white or red black and white together are very like striking it looks great um and it's not the cover that I first got, like with the cassette I had, of course, the, I think like, if I can remember right, there was like a picture, like a live picture of Coverdale singing. And then there was like this orangish, like checkered, like, you know, part beneath it with the picture of like the, the cartoon of the snake, mm-hmm. which is on the album there. And it, it was just really, you know, it was that typical bargain uh, bin looking cassette look, you know, it was like, you probably reissued like, you know, a bunch of times over, um, you know, uh, completely away from the original concept. So I, that's, I wasn't attracted to it at all. Like if I saw this, I would probably would have been more intrigued, you know? Yep. Yep. Um, but, uh, but this, you know, original artwork is actually pretty cool for how simple it is. Now this is the EP as it would have appeared and, and it was printed originally on white vinyl. They did about 15,000 copies. And and it's funny because on the vinyl is this really great, which you recognize from the White Snake EP, that picture of the snake, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. It's very funny that they'd have this really elaborate picture of a snake on the on the on the label for the record, but have such a plain sleeve for it. Um, So I guess they did uh, from what York tells me, they did 15,000 copies in this white and then after that, they did a pressing on black vinyl. And that's even a little bit more rare because they didn't do as many copies of that one. Um, this I found this exact thing on eBay just the other day. And I just I had to order it. I said, you know what? I'm. It was it was super cheap. It was like 12 bucks or something. So I said, I'm going to order this so I can have the original White Snake EP. You know, I was going to say for my money, I would go after the white vinyl because mm-hmm. that's pretty cool looking. And there's only 15,000 out there. Well, 15,000 were made. I'm sure a lot of them were do not survive. Um, and in Europe, uh, I know in the Netherlands and a few other countries, they would end up doing another version of this, which is what we were used to with the with the tracks from Northwinds. And this was the cover, which is kind of like this film reel uh, live footage of the band playing with a picture of Coverdale singing there. And, uh, you know, a little bit more elaborate, but kind of cool looking cover. And then no, that's pretty neat. That would be I think that would be a cool live album cover. Yeah, it looks awesome. And then uh, the one we are used to is the one you were talking about here. So, oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's I I kind of think that's stupid. 
to be honest. It looks, it's one of those, it reminds me of like the reissues of the Mark one albums where they just, they put the album, the real album cover in like a little corner somewhere and they just do all this dumb stuff around it. So it's like a, this is like a snake on a red background with a weird orange and purple mountain range way in the background. And then oh, yeah, it's like so white snake goes to Arizona or some <laughs> shit like maybe, but it's like red. It's like the colors are really weird and there's like no texture to the ground. It's just red background. There's a weird square behind it on the ground, which I have no idea what it is. There's Coverdale with a microphone in a little square just, and then it's got the white. It's it's like he's like in a cube because it's like it's very it's odd. Not a, we're not a great picture of him either. He's just kind of no. just nondescript. I don't know. Yeah, you, you got to yeah, just be like, if you're, if you're going to put a picture of me on an album cover, you know, maybe pick a better picture. There's there's been, you know, how many thousands of pictures of Coverdale over the years. And um, the photography on that previous one was actually uh, uh, partly by Finn Costello, which is no surprise as he was f- photographing everything. But um, the back of this, uh, the CD version, otherwise it says songs one through four produced by Martin the Wasp Birch. So, you know, he's bringing his A game if he's the Wasp. Yes, the Wasp. And then songs five through eight produced by Roger Glover. So not a bad uh, a dual, uh, you know, a, not a bad split between the producers there between uh, mm-hmm. uh, Birch and Glover. Um, but yeah, this is this is how I would have been used to this album. And again, it was yep. the album seemed a little schizophrenic. Uh, much like the White Snake Northwinds one did before it. Um, well, yeah, I mean, like like we were saying before, it's we we had no <laughs> we had no friggin' idea what album was what or what belonged on what album because I remember I got this one and I'm like, are these the same versions of these other songs that are, are I already know or did he re-record them or like I couldn't even tell. I'm like, or why are these the same or like is this even what is this album like? Is it a greatest hits with mm-hmm. four new songs? Like I was. It it was very confusing. I don't think it's until trouble that we kind of get a little consistency. Yeah, and then they start to actually put out proper albums and just you know, you know the way that you normally would. So yeah, it was a very weird. It's we- it was weird that it had such a, a rocky start too, given the fact that you're dealing with some, you know, you're dealing with Coverdale, you're dealing with some great musicians. It it, it seems like it would have a more of a firm start, but indeed it did not. Mm. So that's it. Do you uh? Should we get into some of these tracks here? All four of them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, a big whopping four a tracks. Whopping four tracks, which starts off. Yeah. Um, so I have these in like a weird order here. For some reason, I probably. Like what's the what's the original order even? Is it we even do I even know what the original order is? Or am I going to be surprised? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to just double check the order because I have I have mine in a, a really weird order here um just making sure that they're right so yeah it should well it should be uh come on and bloody mary on the first side and then ain't no love in the heart of the city and steal away on the second side mm-hmm. sounds about right um let's just just double check that because you know if we're gonna go go with the original artwork we want to make sure we're doing it right um but mm-hmm. the snake bite ep we're, we're purists that way we, we certainly are um no this one says uh, and the original one, like here, should start with Bloody Mary and then Steal Away. And then Ain't No Love mm. in the Heart of City and Come On at the end. Okay. I'm down. So, yeah, so that must be that must be the way. So let's let's do it. I'm going to have to jump around a little bit, but we're going to start off with Bloody Mary. 
Now, very uh, Coverdale solo feel to it here. Yeah, very much like what you would hear, like the the, the good time, good feeling songs you'd hear on North Winds. And this one was written uh, by Coverdale Alone. Hmm. Yeah, you can tell this still definitely has like solo Coverdale vibes to it. And this is yet another example of if you could take somebody that only knew of the 87 album on White Snake and play this for them, their heads would explode. <laughs> My wife has no love for like the, the 87 White Snake stuff, but I have played her this stuff and she loves it. Wow, okay. And this is where Coverdale shines with great songwriting and just being surrounded by great musicians just doing their thing. Like he says, handing off those chord charts to the guitar gods and just worrying about the vocals. Oh, nice solo. Got a nice groove and bass back there on Neil Murray. <laughs> That's great. How do you not love that? Um, I think I got my uh, my tracks wrong here. So on the on the sheet, I'll have to. I'm gonna have yeah, to... well, they're all mixed up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we'll just do that. So. All right. I changed the first one up here. So I don't know. How would you yeah, rank? We... How would you rank Bloody Mary? Um, that's that's a strong start to the. David Coverdale's White Snake EP. Mm-hmm. I'll give that a four. That's, yeah. uh, that, that would be right at home on a Coverdale solo album, one of the rockers. Yeah. Like you said, he surrounds himself with these, you know, really good musicians. Of course, the Wasp is producing. Mm-hmm. You know, you got some, you can hear some great bass back there. The guitar solo is really melodic. What's not to like? Yeah. And of course, Coverdale. 
Coverdale's a he can't beat Coverdale. Yeah, he's the he's the slam dunk right in that. All right, so uh, a four, yeah. I'm gonna have to give that a solid four as well. It's a it's a very enjoyable opening track mm-hmm. in in classic Coverdale style. It's a great one. Okay, next up. We have Steal Away, and this was written by Coverdale, Moody, Marsden, Murray, Solly, and Dowell. So everybody pitched in for this song. So that's always good. And this is Steal Away. This is probably something they jammed on or something. Little slide guitar. If that's moody. Now when the day is done, I'll find you woman and run. Don't ask no questions and you won't get no lies. And if you steal away, I'll be your only lover. And I will love you till the day that I die. And if you Bernie Marsden says there's syndromes on this, which is like very early synthetic drums. Oh, right. And the breakdown part, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Said they were new at the time and soon after that, everyone would be using them. I always thought this song had kind of a different beat to it. Yeah, just riding all those toms. Yeah, yeah, like they, they could have done something more straight ahead with the drums, but didn't. It kind of makes it different, you know? <laughs> uh. bluesy feel to this to this song oh yeah that's definitely because it's like hardcore slide and good slide yeah and he's not laying off the slide either hi yo, voice box is it, a, is it a talk box talk box sorry <laughs> Oh, there they are. Boo, 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 boo. <laughs> Looks like watching a nature documentary from, from when we were kids. I remember, he- I remember hearing this and just being like, why is Whitesnake going disco here? Like, what is that? Boo, boo, boo. <laughs> you hear Coverdale breathing. Very interesting production choice. Not what you'd expect from from this. No, not at all. Well, like you said, those were a new 
thing at the time, so they were probably like, yeah, let's throw them in. Let's throw them in the middle of the song for no reason. Oh, well. In the middle of this, like, traditional, like, rock slide guitar. Especially on such, like, a down-home bluesy song to just do... Boo, 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 boo. <laughs> Such an odd choice. Can't like, imagine hey, the Wasp being involved with that either. Well, he's like, well, we need a hit. Maybe this will get played at Studio 54. We don't know. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Riding that slide. All, All right. the way home. Steal All away. Way what do you think? Um, I'm going to give, I'm going to give this a 3.5. All right. Um, I, <laughs> I mean, there are, there are a lot of good elements to it, but it's, it's just not, it's not doing it for me. And it's, it's those, it's those friggin' syndromes. Like I, I just never liked them in there. I always thought it was a weird choice. I thought it took away from the song. Um, and, and even though the, 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 the uh, the the beat you know the the timing was in, like interesting I thought it like uh, a different you know um, they could have written the drums differently like mm-hmm. I mean I I you know I kind of like that kind of like drum march you know marching beat type thing they did all the way through but it just it never it never kind of propelled or took off so it's like I thought that kind of did the the song a little bit of disservice but you know that being said like when you hear the intro that sounds to me like something you would just like crank up like on your analog stereo and just wait for it to like crank out mm-hmm. but then when it does you kind of get that you know drum beat and then it's kind of like eh, you know yeah so it was just okay yeah i'm gonna give it a three i think for all the reasons you said and it just it has that it's one of those songs where you're waiting for it to go to another place, but it just it just repeats that kind of over and over again. It's really cool mm-hmm. slide work. It's really interesting. The synth drums yeah. are, are I I always like when you just kind of do something different from a production standpoint, but they're almost silly um, being thrown in there like that. Yeah, uh, which yeah, I'm that's... also not always against sometimes that that really works but it just seems odd it, it like like kind of marsden uh, alluded to it just sounds like well they were new they were around they had them in the studio I'm like well you know we gotta th- throw we gotta throw these in the in a song somewhere because we have them and kind right. of one of the advantages nowadays with music production is you have you always have everything at your fingertips and can use whatever you want so there's kind of some uh, that can paralyze you sometimes because you never know what to do or you always want to change things up or try different things. But on the other hand, uh, you don't maybe aren't as apt to say, oh, here's a new trick. Let's use it. Right. Uh, I mean, I could get that. Uh, maybe they were in the studio when they're like, hey, there's this new thing. It's like because I mean, that that's kind of a cool idea to like, uh, because I mean, I know I've done it, too, is like, hey, let's have this. Mm-hmm think of it that way, this, this bluesy rock song. And then we have these kind of new kind of far out, like almost outer space sounding drums. Like, let's see how these two sounds will play against each other. And unfortunately didn't really age well, like, um, or go together in my opinion. But who, 
who listens to that and says, oh, yeah, those sound like drums. Like, there's nothing drum-like about them. Boo, 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 boo. Like, it, I, I don't know what the heck they sound like, but I, I wouldn't hear that and be like, oh, yeah, that's a... I guess it's like any early synthesis. You'd say, like, oh, these are synth strings, and you're like, oh, is that what they were going for? I just thought it was just a weird noise. I mean, does it sound like the when the ball bounces off the wall and pong or something? Like <laughs> it does. It sound a little... <laughs> yeah. It sounds you know? more like that than any like, drum I've ever heard. Yeah, but I think you're right. I think you use the word goofy or silly sounding, and it's just like that's kind of what it sounds like a little bit. Plus, something with the something too with the drum beats when you have that repeating the drum beat when you have that repeating. Nah, 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 it sounds kind of like goofy. Um, yeah. I don't know. Just the, the whole song was, I, I gave a little higher rating because not, it's not a bad song and the slide work is definitely good, but all that other stuff just took away from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. So not, not, not one of the strongest, you know, unfortunately it's only like four songs. So it's not like you could have like eight other songs redeem it or anything. So, <laughs> or something. Well, that being said, Let's see how the next song redeems it, and that's Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City. And this is, of course, a cover of a song first recorded by Bobby Blue Bland. This is Coverdale just in his vocal element here. It's just his vocals in the song are so good. The song was written by Michael Price and Dan Walsh in 1974. Yeah, this is really good version of it. It's really well played, recorded. Coverdale sounds great. Marsden says that to this day, people still think this is a White Snake song, like that White Snake wrote, because they did yeah. put their own stamp on it. And well, because it's got those bluesy elements to it. Yeah, it does. It. White Snake was really good. To Coverdale was really good. And making a song yeah, like his you own, could, you could, like it doesn't sound like he's trying to cover. It sounds like it's his song. Well, yeah, like this would fit in with like any of his ballads, like Blind Man or. So you could tell like where his style came from. But that's good when like a band or an artist can cover a song and like people can mistake it for their own. Mm -hmm. So that means he really kind of made this his own. Martin Popoff said in his book that they used to use this song to audition new members into the band, which happened quite a bit. (laughs) So they would play this song with them to see how they fit in. (laughs) 
And I'm gonna assume this is Marsden. Nice little tasty bass run there by Murray. Do, 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 do. You know what the song needs? <laughs> no, it does not need that. <laughs> this is a great little breakdown here, too. Yeah, I mean, the rhythm section is really locked in on this, too. They're doing a lot of interesting stuff in the background. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Nice little slide. All right, we got to stop. <laughs> We're like ruining it. <laughs> we How could they have heard this and been like, eh, we don't know if we want to give you a full album deal. <laughs> who, who the hell knows? You always read those stories, too. Like, like, here's the record producer who said the Beatles would never amount to anything. He turned them down. <laughs> it's like, you idiot. <laughs> As he's like hiding his face in shame. I think they parodied that in the Ruddles. They showed some guy like with a... With like a noose Idiot. around his neck or something because he turned down the, the deal. <laughs> I like those keys at the end. I wonder what, what, what he's using there. Ain't no love in the heart of the city. You know, I'm wondering how that song would have sounded if you had... Pace and Lord on there. Ooh. Well, I'm sure there's a Especially live version John out Lord. there. Oh, yeah. But I mean, the studio version, I mean, that was yeah, pretty good. I mean, oh, well, are they both on a on the, um, you know, they have the li live in the heart of the city. I think so. Are yeah. they both on that one? They must be I both on so, that one. Yeah. Right? Mm hmm. Jorg, you can you don't have to send us a, a nasty note. We'll <laughs> look it up right now. <laughs> He's never nasty. He's always very uh very polite he very politely very tolerates our, our our lack of knowledge <laughs> but um yeah yeah so you would have had pace and lord on that one mm -hmm. so and do they do it are they maybe they don't do that song on the album live in the heart of the city no, th that's the name of the damn album practically is the song yeah it's not on there that's funny hey I don't think I've ever heard that album. I just, I'm familiar. I like, I know the album cover because it's such like a cool looking iconic album cover. Um, but uh, yeah, they don't do it. <laughs> That's a shame. Mm. They do it. Uh, there's a live at the Hammersmith where they mm -hmm. do it. Hmm. Anyway. Interesting. What do you okay. think about Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City? Uh, 4.5 for this one. Uh, really good song. I always 
I always considered it like not a ballad. Because mm-hmm. uh, you know what I mean? Like a ballad's like a love song or whatever, but this was like a good like ballad-ish type song. Like I always love this one because it's like, yeah, this is a great like white snake slow song. But I mean, for everything that I said throughout the song, it's just really like well played and Coverdale sounds great. The guitar solos are good. And it sounds like you said, a, a, like a Coverdale song, like surprised he didn't write it. We've been batting around the idea of doing this episode where we t- we're, we're going to do it as a bonus episode, hopefully soon. Where we talk, we kind of give some impressions of some songs that we really love that are have nothing to do with Deep Purple. And this really reminds me of one of the songs that I've chosen to bring to that episode, mm-hmm. which I'm not going to tell you about now because you'll have to wait for the bonus episode. Um, it, it just it evokes that same feeling, and uh, I'm going to give this one a five. Because I always, I kind of knew that. Always thought this was a really just, just has such a great feeling to it, and it's just done so well and with such passion. And um, you'll see on Trouble when they do. Uh, I, I normally, you know me, normally I do not care for when they do covers on, especially on albums. To do a cover of another band's song, it's just like ugh. Most nine times out of ten, I just think it's a horrible idea. But on the on the first album, they'll do a cover of, of Day Tripper. Which again, mm-hmm. not to get too far ahead of ourselves, I feel like they make it their own. You know, they make it sounds like a White Snake song, even though it's a very faithful cover. They still they put enough little twists into there where it keeps it really interesting, and I feel like it works on the album. Where so often I don't dig that, and I don't think it works really well. So mm-hmm. um, he just had a way of doing that. So ain't no love in the heart of the city. Leaves us with only one more track, and that's our final track on this EP, and that's Come On. I like that really dirty guitar sound. That beginning reminds me of that Joe Walsh song, Life's Been Good to Me oh, So yeah. Far. When did that song come out? Let's see. Same year. Ooh, I wonder which came out first. This one. <laughs> we got to be on Coverdale's side. Well, it was April, so I don't know when this one came out. So. Ah, uh, the Joe Walsh one came out in May, so it's possible they were just completely independent, but they sound so similar. Yeah, this is just a cool, laid-back Coverdale rocker. Yeah. It's great. Like, I love the verses. Oh, see what he did there? Soldier of Fortune. (laughs) Oh, Gypsy. He didn't say he's been mistreated. What's going on? a great riff yeah murray's just killing on bass oh yeah the bass on this uh ep is great (laughs) 
Nice. This was written by Coverdale and Marsden. And Marsden said this is the first song that he and Coverdale ever wrote together. Some nice wah-wah guitar solo there. It sounded like Neil Murray was doing, sounded like Bob Deasley-ish, like something you'd hear on one of the first two Ozzy albums. Mm-hmm, yeah. Gypsy in him is he talking about exactly? And I almost think this song is the beginning of the like proper white snake sound. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like that could have that was almost like the like the you know when you read the end of a chapter and then you open up the new one, you know, this is like the one where it's like mm-hmm. and then there's trouble, and then the rest of White Snake. Like, <laughs> it's like a little like cliffhanger. It, and yeah, he couldn't yeah, exactly. believe what he saw. Oh, no, i got to go to chapter three now and see what happened. <laughs> but, yeah, no, that's that's a really good song. Like, that sounds very much more like White Snake-ish. Like, le- there was a couple of things that sounded more Coverdale solo. This was kind of in between a little bit. Well, that makes sense because um, it was written by, like you yeah. talked about with uh, Steal Away, you, I think you said it, it sounds like what was this maybe just a jam that everyone was doing and mm-hmm. it, the fact that it was written by all those people didn't really play out with the song it just sounded yeah it did sound kind of just yeah. like a jam like one of the you know somebody Mickey Moody or whatever started something on that slide guitar and everyone just joined in and uh, Dave Dowell did the thing on the with the toms and maybe that's why they credit it to everybody uh, but this is the first song that you hear where Coverdale and Marsden, which is kind of the just the songwriting tour de force along with Moody uh, going into Whitesnake. So it, it stands to reason mm-hmm. that that would be that that bridge. Yeah. So cool. four, 4.5 for me. All right. Great song. I'm thinking I'm giving that one a four for sure. It's really, really great one. Loving it. So that's a, yeah. that's it for the tracks on that. And, uh, Oh, you know what? I haven't even. I uh, no. uh, see. Got to see how that comes up. Let's see. White snake, snake bite, and then let's see where. Uh, see where this takes us. There's our scores. That scores very, very highly. So let's. Where are we? Snake bite. And kind oh, of, yeah. kind see, of no. an asterisk on this one because there's only four tracks and. God, if uh, right, so if what's its what if what's its what's the name there, um, if uh, Seal Away had done better, this could have been one of our highest ranking albums ever. Um, yeah, so I mean, eight point one three. That's that's uh, that's pretty high. I I rated it a little higher than you. 
So you rated a four point one three, and I got a four point zero even. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like you said, that's a when you say an asterisk there, you know, because it's only a few songs as opposed to a lot of a lot of songs. Um, but let's see, where are we? Um, where is Snakebite? There you are, right in the middle. Yeah, Snakebite's right in the oh, middle. Oh well, it's it's towards um, it's towards the top, but yeah, but a little a little below. Uh, we are the music and Captain Beyond, mm-hmm. and um, I'm sorry, a little above, and a little below, both Made in Japan's and North Winds. Oddly enough, mm-hmm. Machine Head. So, yeah, I would say like that. Notwithstanding, that's kind of got an unfair advantage, I guess you could say, in the in the rankings. But it was a pretty decent EP. Um, it's it's not something that I go back and revisit a lot. And I don't know, honestly, with the Northwind songs on it, it's kind of like it feels, I don't know, kind of cheap. Well, yeah, it's just stitched version. together. I love Northwinds and I love these songs. I but love Northwinds on its own. Yeah. And I, you know, North I like to listen to full, I like, I know a lot of people like to put things in shuffle and things like that. I really like to listen to full albums and I, I mostly wouldn't put this on just cause I'm like, it's only four songs. So I'd have to put something on right after it or put a, put something else in the queue right after it, but it would be a good thing right. to put on, like put on snake bite and then go right into trouble after that and just have their playlist going that way. You know, if you had like an early white snake playlist this would obviously rotate through really fast. Mm-hmm. Yep, but good stuff. I mean, it's a, it's a really yeah. strong. Mm-hmm. It it makes you kind of wish that the record company had supported a full album because it's just weird. EPs are we- a weird middle ground for me. Like I I've never really understood the point of the EP. And certainly not a point really these days, yeah. but yeah, but I think the point is kind of like what the, they said is the record the record company won't support a full album. It's like if you can't if you don't have enough material for a full album or if you don't have the time or you can't do it, you don't have the finances, you put out an EP. But to me, I'd rather just have a, you know, something between an EP and one of these hour long album CDs like we've been talking about recently. Uh, having something that's at least 30, 35 minutes long is a little more preferable for me. Yeah. So yeah, but all in all, a good little collection for sure. Uh, when this came out, so Marsden said there was a fifth song for this EP called "The First Time," but it was lost <laughs> and has never resurfaced. So it'll be in- interesting to. Uh, that's what he says anyway. I'm, I'm waiting for Yorick to to listen and say, "Oh, I have a copy of that. Here you go. Send it over." <laughs> if any, if Yorick doesn't have it, I can assure you it does not exist. Especially since we're in a, right in his wheelhouse with Coverdale and Whitesnake. Um, mm-hmm. Murray says there wasn't much difference between the EP and the album Trouble because they went into the studio to do the full album just a few months later. So the same group minus uh, the keyboardist, they would get John Lord to replace uh, on keyboards. And then they would go right back into the studio and work on this full album. So apparently the record company was probably happy with what they saw for sales. Um, uh, Murray says this was a turning point where it shifted from Coverdale solo to the band Whitesnake. So this was kind of the bridge between him being on his own with some backing, uh, some some recurring backing artists and being an actual, more of an actual band. On uh, May 1st, 1978, uh, the band filmed a promo video for Snake Bite. 
which is really interesting. And of course, Jorg had that for me. You can find a few of the videos on on YouTube, but um, I've got a video here, and this is actually really, it's going to be the same music that we've already heard, but... But this is the band on just a soundstage featuring David Coverdale's White Snake. And it's just all them miming along to all the songs that they recorded and doing this as a as a promo. Nice. So it's really interesting, you know, seeing all the guys on stage just doing these songs. It starts off with Come On, then it goes into uh, Bloody Mary right around, uh, right around here. I'm sorry, this is Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City, of course. Looks like fun. They just kind of probably piped these in over the speakers and had the band just mime playing along. That's pretty cool. And I almost feel like talking about watching the EP or listening to the EP. I'd almost rather just watch this promo video because it's really cool. Yeah. And then here we go. Bloody Mary. And then they um, they end up finishing this song, and you don't see, you don't hear all of "Steal Away." They just fade out and go to credits, which is weird. There just goes kind of shows you the lineup of the band, who wrote the songs, weird, yeah. and then fades out on on this. So, really interesting promo video. Um, the thing that's interesting about it is they used this video, the snakebite video, as a promo to support another uh, film. And they, they played this uh, before that film. And that film was a, a softcore pornography film, which is interesting. So um, you have... That's interesting photo here of of the two Davids. Uh, one is David Coverdale and the other is uh, David Hamilton, who uh, was, I guess, the producer or of, of this other film. <laughs> and there, there they are at the premiere. And then there's David Coverdale with his uh, with his wife at the time at the at the pre at the premiere as well. Um, so it's interesting to just be like, OK, we're going to. OK, everybody, get in the theater. We're going to watch some softcore porn. But first. <laughs> <laughs> His white snake. First in a 12 minute <laughs> white snake video, <laughs> which is actually, you know, I'm sure a great, a great pairing. And uh, uh, Coverdale apparently was offered some uh, was gotten some offers to appear in movies after that, that he uh, turned down. You figure Co oh, that Coverdale's like, I don't need to be in those movies. That's my life anyway. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that obviously started off white snake on the right foot. Even back then being all. 
cheeky and innuendo-y. And yeah, David, David Coverdale's White Snake. There you go. All right. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the, the, the very intro and very beginnings of Whitesnake um, going into that. And uh, yeah, this I guess maybe we were maybe we were right. Maybe this is one of our shortest episodes. I think the uh, the banter between songs is probably uh, what can draw on some of the episodes a little bit more. But um, this is uh, I find this really this period very fascinating where you've got Coverdale coming, you know, just a couple years off the heels of Deep Purple and figuring out what he, what he's, what his direction is going to be. And you see them figuring it out, all figuring it out together and coming up with some great music in the meantime. You figure it had to have been a difficult time because when this come out, 78, 78. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't really the best time for straight ahead blues rock music like this Mm -hmm. at all so Mm -hmm. for them to continue down this path and then kind of work at it until uh 84 uh to 87 and then finally kind of break and you know get a lot bigger um you know it it took a little bit because Mm -hmm. like right around this time like from 78 to like 80 uh, disco was really big. Um, rock was not really a thing, you know, like people that wasn't as popular. There were obviously people doing it. I mean, you had some great bands that kind of kept the, you know, they didn't let the, the disco thing creep in like, um, like ACDC, um, is, is one of them that I can think of. Um, a lot of punk stuff was coming out, but, you know, how much more stuff, even, even the Aerosmith stuff at the time wasn't their, their best stuff, but they were still like straight ahead rock. So, uh, but it was tough. It must've been tough for Coverdale and like a new, trying to break through with a new band around this time too. So wonder if that could have contributed to kind of them flopping around. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Um, yeah, it was just kind of a, I'm sure a lot of stuff was uncertain and we know that he had taken, he had taken like that one year off cause he still had a contract or whatever it was and mm. had to, you know, they had to work. He basically couldn't perform or any of that. So, you know, it's a very, right. very weird time. Very weird time for sure. Um, yeah. And then we've got, uh, we've got this, the Bobby Bland version here of the, um, of the ain't no love in the heart of the city. I feel like, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't, uh, if we didn't preview that. What do you think? Yeah. Near a little bit. Why not? Why not give it a, give it a shot here. See how it stacks up. See how it stacks up to the white snake version. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly familiar. Like, I feel like I've heard this one just as many times as the Mm -hmm. white snake one for some reason, but, um, it's not downloaded for me here. So maybe we won't listen to it. (laughs) There was an error. Okay, well, let's try it again. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really interesting uh, interesting track. That's uh, so, just so I can just drag over the uh, YouTube video. We can watch it this way. So here we go. Ain't no love in the heart. Oh wait. Oh, it it, it worked. It worked. <laughs> Ain't no love in the heart by Bobby Bland, and this is from the album Dreamer. How long? How, how old is it? Uh, seventy-four. 
So yeah, it was fairly. Oh yeah, it was fairly new. So it was him covering a recent song. It wasn't even that old. Yeah, yeah, it was. It would have been. It would have been fairly, uh, yeah, fairly new at the time. So it's good. It's good stuff. Um, it's a contemporary cover. That's even cooler. Yep. Well, now it's not working. <laughs> so. Hey, what are you doing? I know. I had to. I th- we should have just ed- ended it right there, but um, instead I had to have this this great idea. We still can if you want. We we still can. We still can end it right there. Bobby Bland, a dreamer. Though. It's a great album cover. It's got him just. It's just. You know, like a guy wearing like a really cool, um, really cool suit on the cover of an album, just sitting there smoking, <laughs> just on the album cover. Oh, I love the, like back to the, say a guy wearing a really cool suit, unlike the Glenn Hughes Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> this looks like this looks like he knew he was going to be um, he was going to be <laughs> participating in a photo shoot. It wasn't. <laughs> It wasn't a surprise to him the way it was to Glenn. But yeah, it's just like, you know, like just the guy like just standing there sm- like it's like, hey, what do you what you feel? You're you're doing my album cover today. Well, fine, but I'm I'm not going to put down the cigarette. Like I've I got things to do here. But here we go. Bobby, Bobby Bland. Ain't no heart. Ain't no love in the heart of the city. Oh. That's great. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh. Oh, sorry. So the tempo's a little faster. Yeah, it's, it's about a minute shorter, this version. But man, what a great voice. great like kind of motown sounding style to it i mean you can also you can clearly see where coverdale got his influence from because he was influenced by a lot of singers like this and um is he like um influenced by like otis redding and other yep. vocalists like that as well like there's kind of motown singers so it's like really also a lot of people don't think of and makes coverdale so unique as a singer makes him so good and this guy was born in 1930. So he, this guy would have been a full 20 years older than Coverdale. Wow. Passed away in 2013, 83 years old. This to me is like, this is my wheelhouse. Like I could listen to music like this all day with no problems. He has a compilation called I Pity the Fool. (laughs) That's awesome. You think uh, Mr. T got it from him? Could have. Yeah, it's, uh, it was a song in the 1960s, one of his singles, I Pity the Fool. Soul blue song originally recorded by Bobby Bland. And 
If you go to <laughs> if you go to the uh, Wikipedia entry for I Pity the Fool, it says this article is about the song. For the catchphrase, see Mr. T. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. It's great that, I mean, obviously, <clears throat> Coverdale and the White Snake guys have a fair amount of, you know, R&B and the soul in them, but but it sounds more like a, a rock song. And it sounds like Coverdale's got that delivery yeah. like he has on Blind Men or whatever, where it's just really, mm-hmm. you can just hear him giving his, giving his all to the song. But it's great that they would hear this. And once again, like I said, it's a very, very faithful cover, but yet... They, 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 it's really different. Yeah, they bridge that gap so well of just making it be super faithful, but yet also making it sound their own, which is really hard to do. So many people do not nail it or, or make covers that just sound cheesy or just sound half assed. And this, this is, uh, it's just amazing what they did with this one. Yeah, I mean, this was, um, I mean, both versions really have merit like i mean this one was just a real it's almost like they're two different songs like if you want to hear like the the motown soulful like get that kind of vibe then you listen to this song but if you want to get some of that but hear it more in like a like a ballady modern uh, at the time like blues rock mm-hmm. vibe then you listen to the white snake version so even though like i get what you're saying even though it's the same song it's like two different songs like i wouldn't i would i would not rate this one lower or say that it's inferior at all no, they're both great. You know, I, I, I'd give this one a five too, honestly. It's fantastic. I mean, I'd, I'd say they're equally as good because it's like, you know, this is like the original and the other, because for the exact reason that we said is that they're like, they're the same song, but they're like two, like really different, but they both have that integrity. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And a good songwriting is good songwriting. You know, you can twist it whatever way you want, but if it's a, if it's a well-written song, it, it works really well. And, you know, we'll hear you know, that. It makes me think of, it makes me think of um, kind of the almost the opposite way. Like, I, I don't know, you might be aware of this one is that um, um, Al Green, I think it was, did a, a cover of I Want to Hold Your Hand by the Beatles. Hmm. I don't know if I know the Al Green one. And I mean, you know, the Beatles version oh, is like that, that really, you know, early 60s pop version or whatever. And then you hear Al Green's and it's like, you'd think it was an Al Green song. Right. And then, and then like halfway through, you're just like, Oh shit, that's, that's a Beatles. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. And it's actually really good. And you know that I'm not like crazy about the Beatles, but I do really enjoy a good Al Green. song. No, it's, so. it's hard to disagree with Al Green. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. Haven't heard anything by Al Green that I didn't like. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. But anyways, that's kind of what this makes me think of a little bit when you have two like, almost like different genres, but they're kind of the same. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like the, the, uh, the bridge, the gap, as you said. Anyway, that is the snake bite EP. Some really, really good stuff. And, uh, yeah, I guess we'll be back at you uh, next week with something new that I don't think we've even figured out yet. (laughs) Uh, don't blow the magic, Nate. (laughs) We have it all. We actually have a tremendous amount of stuff mapped out. But next week is a question mark. So 
There you go. Yeah, we just don't know what. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. All right. Well, thanks for joining okay. us, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Have a good night. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also give us a rating on iTunes to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. It's a it's a pick it's a two pack of Dymo labels and it says if you run out. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, classic Peter, that guy.